0: Well, some of you may remember a movie more than 10 years ago, uh, called uh, "Changing Lanes." Anybody remember that? That was a thriller, wasn't it? Ben Affleck and Samuel L. Jackson, and each of these guys were on their way to somewhere important, and uh, they were in a in a traffic jam, and they were just trying to change, just trying to get in the right lane, and they had a fender bender that catapulted them into a series of catastrophic events. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Being in the wrong lane can be bad news sometimes, right? How many of you know that place up on 270? (laughs) Westbound 161, 33, where there's like, you know what I'm talking about? Where there's a sign that's for a mile that says, left lane ends. Hello? Now, before I go too much further, I will admit that I am the best driver. <laughs> and I'm a Pharisee of drivers, right? I know what the rules are. But you're driving along. For crying out loud, you got a mile to merge right. And what is it about these yahoos out in the left lane that goes, I'll go over when I'm good and ready, right? Come on, on the phone, yeah. You can see what's going to happen. And I'll try to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they got something going on, you know, they're not paying attention. But I think most of them are just idiots, don't you? I mean, let's, they're just arrogant. They're just hugging that left line, you know. My lane will be done when my lane's done. And it's your lane that's ending, buddy. It's important to be in the right lane at the right time, yes? yes? I think so, too. Jesus said so, too. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. and Many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So It's important to be in the right lane. Let's pray. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to come, to bring life into our lives, to bring life where there's death, to cut out the cancer of things we've settled for and forsaken you. Come, Lord, we pray. We want to be authentic followers of your son, Jesus. Lord, I know for a fact that these people did not come to hear a man talk they came to meet with the living God and so I invite your presence to come into this this time of my talking Lord but would you just connect every heart with you Lord I just pray to you God that no one would settle for the sound of my voice when your voice is so near come Holy Spirit as we look into this passage from your word your word is life to us Lord your Bible is life to us. And so we invite you to come and make it live in us and for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to continue this morning in the Sermon on the Mount for today plus one more week. I also thought we were already done with it. I think this is my third announcement of the ending of this series, but I just can't seem to escape it. Uh, the most compelling part of the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the most compelling part comes next week. When Jesus says what I consider to be the most terrifying words in Scripture, when he says to people who were doing all the God stuff, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. We can't walk away from the Sermon on the Mount without inviting the Holy Spirit and come and tell us what that means, right? We got to know what that means. And I think the Lord will be generous to us next week in helping us to see that. But as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you can see that these words from Jesus about these roads, about being in the right lane, that he's shifting into a conclusion of the message. I believe that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 were a continuous flow of the words of Jesus, that they actually were a continuous sermon spoken by Jesus. There are Bible scholars who suggest that there's reason to believe that this was really the work of the gospel writer who brought in various things that Jesus said and organized them, but I see no reason to to think that. I see every reason to believe that it is as it is and that Jesus went up on a mountainside and he began to speak to his disciples and the crowd that had gathered and that this thing was the Sermon on the Mount, a continuous flow of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It makes a lot of sense if you think about it this way that he started with the introduction, in this thing we now call the Beatitudes, where nine times he said, happy are the, right? Happy are the. Happy are the pure in heart, happy are those who mourn, happy are the merciful, happy are the. And Jesus began his sermon by making this point clear. He wants to make his followers happy. Jesus wants us to be happy. Now, it's not a happiness as the world offers a happiness, as we'll see in the body of the message, but he wants us to be happy, that your happiness is a prime concern of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. Your personal, individual happiness is of ultimate concern of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. He wants us to be happy. Nine times he said, happy are the... And even though the, the end of every sentence didn't make full sense to us, the point is clear that he wants us to be happy. I think that's good news, don't you. And then he shifts over into the body, which in the next couple of chapters after the introduction, I want you to be happy. And he says, but I want you to know that the way of happiness that I'm talking about is a way that is completely opposite of what the world says, that the world is offering a kind of happiness that it really can't ultimately deliver on. Ultimately, it will wear out, and I'm offering you an eternal happiness and because it's a different kind of happiness, though it is happiness, the happiness you want, that it's going to come in a very different way. said so it's going to come in a way that's different, uh, a way completely opposite to what the world and even the religion of these people, the Jewish religion, uh, had been teaching them. Because the world had said stuff like, if you make enough money, you'll be happy. Isn't that what the world still says, Right? Well, you know why you're not happy. You're just not making enough money. Anybody fall into that one? And you make some more money, and you're happy for a minute. And then what do you need? Some more money. And so the world says, if you make more money, you'll be happy. But Jesus said, I'll tell you when you'll be happy, when you don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. And you come to me and have a relationship with me where I will be your provider. I will sign your paycheck. I will give you every, when you get to that place, that's when you'll be happy. But it's opposite of what the world says. The world says if you can get people off your back, you'll be happy, right? Come on. I mean, if those people would just leave you alone, right? Jesus said, happy are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I didn't know I was happy. So he's saying it's opposite. The world says, if you worry about enough stuff, if you just consider and get all the plates in the air and make sure everything, you worry about it enough, you'll work through it and you'll be happy. Jesus said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about a thing. So he says it's opposite from what the world says to these people. He also told them that the happiness that he had for them was going to be opposite from what their religion had been teaching them. Religion, for example, had been teaching them the doctrine of retribution, which means an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? And Jesus said, I know that's what you've been told, that you think you're going to be happy if you get justice. But he said, I'll tell you when you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy, this flips it on its head, you're going to be happy if when somebody hits you on one cheek, you're able to say, I have another. That's messed up, isn't it? Jesus said it's going to be different from what your religion has taught you about your public image. The Jewish religion said make sure you're always doing all the right things at all the right time and looking good. Make sure you're at the right prayer meetings. Make sure you fast, and when you fast, make sure everybody knows it. I can't deal with that right now. I'm fasting, you know, doing my God thing. Pray on the street corner so people can know you're representing God. All these things. And Jesus said, "It's the opposite. Of course you should pray in your group meetings. Of course you should, of course you should do these things. But when you fast, don't let anybody know it. When you pray, the important part of prayer is when you're alone with God in the closet alone." When you fast, act like you're not fasting. Act the opposite. Because it's not about what people think about you, it's about what you're experiencing in private encounters with God. And so he says, I want to make you happy, and I can make you happy, but you need to know that it's going to be exactly the opposite of what the world offers as happiness and what your religion has been offered. So by this time, these people have been listening to him. I want to make you happy, but it's all messed up. And so they're stunned. And they're befuddled. And now as we start in this passage where Jesus talks about being in the right lane, he's really beginning the conclusion of the message. He's inviting them in to this happiness. And he says there will be three things about the conclusion. First of all, that the path that he's offering toward happiness is narrow. It's not wide. We'll deal with that today. He's saying, but this path has a solid foundation. It's on a rock. It's not a shifting sand. It's solid. And then he tells us it's all about knowing him in personal experience. So he's inviting us into the happiness with with these three calls. Now, Tony... Treated the second one two weeks ago in my absence. Thank you very much, Tony. And today we'll talk about the narrow road. And next week, the words we will never want to hear. So my question for you is pretty simple. Do you want to be happy? Are you sure? Do you want to be happy, or do you just want to dull the pain? You know what I'm talking about? Do you want to be happy or do you just want to be free from the pain? Because there's a difference. I mean, do you want to be eternally happy? This is the difference between what the world offers compared to what Jesus is offering in the Sermon on the Mount. The world can't offer us happiness. It can only offer us anesthesia. The things of the world are only anesthetic to dull the pain. It's painkiller. And when it's over with, you wake up in deeper pain than when you started, yes? The world doesn't have happiness to offer. It only has painkiller. But Jesus offers a supreme, superior kind of happiness that comes regardless of what's happening in the world. We've seen it again and again. But if you want happiness, you're saying yes, then what you have to do is you have to begin by rejecting the painkillers of the world, rejecting what the world has to offer, and accepting Jesus' invitation onto the narrow road. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 27, through 27, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Anybody wants to come? Anybody wants to follow me? He said, "Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me." For whoever wants to save his life, he said, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will find it. And so, there's an immediate decision called for, a rejection of the patterns of happiness of the world, which is just painkiller. Denying that and taking up this invitation to be on this narrow road. Does that make sense? You can see the tension here, can't you, as Jesus is talking, as we conclude this sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Well, today he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I think that's both an exciting and terrifying thing all at the same time. I think it's exciting Because it's, the the road that you're looking for is the road that leads to life. Really, life. Jesus said, I've got a road for you. And it's a road that leads to life. He says there are two roads. You can be on the road that leads to destruction, or you can be on my road that leads to life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus sets this up. And he says, the thief, meaning the world or the devil, comes only to steal kill, and destroy, that when you buy into the painkillers of the world, you'll find yourself in worse condition than when you started. It comes to steal the very little that you have. He said, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He said, what I'm offering is life. The world, as you participate in its remedies, will take from you. When you participate in me, I will add to you. I will give you life. And it's life that you seek. What kind of life? Eternal life in heaven? Anybody get to the John 3.16 yet? How's that go again? For God, what? So loved the world that he gave us, what? Only begotten Son, that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not, what? Perish, but have, what? Everlasting life. So because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, that as we have faith in him, in his work, we have eternal life. We're going to heaven after this. That's life. Yeah? That's life. Jesus said in John five twenty four, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You've already crossed over. That's done. That's done. All right? That's a done thing. But we're not there yet, are we? So we've got the eternal life set for us by Christ. But there's also another dimension of this, and that's that what are we supposed to do while we're here? We're supposed to be living kingdom life in the here and now. Kingdom life. The reality of the kingdom of God in the here and now. Make no mistake. We are meant to be practitioners of the kingdom. Every one of us meant to be practitioners of the kingdom of God the moment we become subject to Jesus Christ as our king. When do we become subject to Him as our King? When you come to Him and claim his, Him as Savior and Lord of your life. Then your, your, your later is all set. And your now is a new reality. And it's a narrow road. It's a road that He's calling you onto, and you'll find life if you'll walk it. Jesus taught us to pray what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? 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 Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just about believing in Christ. There, I'm I'm a Christian. I've got my get out of hell free card for later. I'll just sort of muddle along. But it's about life. It's about kingdom life. It's about what God wants to do in and through us in the here and now. Kingdom life. This is life. The road that Jesus is offering us is really a road that leads to life. The the rest of the road only leads to destruction. It leads to death. When you settle for the painkillers, figure out ways just to dull the pain of the meaningless of your existence, then that leads to destruction. It leads to a worse place than when you started, even if it's religious stuff. Even if you like the song and the dance here, That can still be part of the death walk. Hello? Anything can become religion. Anything can become a painkiller. And it all leads to the same place. But now when you're singing your song and doing your dance and you're walking on on the road, then you're experiencing life, the vitality of life in Jesus Christ, yes? The kingdom life. The dynamics of the kingdom, the power of God, the grace of God, the move of God, the presence of God, the intimacy with God, the experience of God, this is the kingdom that Jesus is offering when he says, I've come that you may have life. I find it interesting that it's so clear from the Bible. Anybody been reading the Bible, by the way? Anybody? Seven of you? You should tell the others you should tell the others about how great this is. And then, when you read the Gospels, you read the life of Jesus. How, I don't know how what the prosperity preachers are saying squares up with what Jesus was about. I mean, I I hear these prosperity preachers to say, "Hey, since you are a Christian, you ought to be able to have all the money you want," right? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide all your needs according to his riches and glory, etc., etc., etc. good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And all these twisted scriptures, all these things. You know, you look at the life of Jesus. When did he ever give anybody money? One time. One time. Yeah, exactly, Marie. They needed to pay their taxes, right? Uh, I don't know. you got anything? No, we don't do money. I don't know. Jesus said, go over and catch a fish. Next one you, will have one. <laughs> Next one you catch will have your tax money in its mouth. Prosperity! <laughs> Paid my taxes and I got a fish. Come on, people. Jesus is offering us so much more than that. You know it, too. You know it, that there's something so much better than that. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, getting all worked up about money will actually keep you from experiencing the kingdom. He said, nobody can serve two masters. If you're living for money, you're going to miss the kingdom. Make all the money you want. You know, I've said this before. You all intelligent, hardworking people living in a free enterprise system, make all the money you can. As long as it's coming from the center of the road, because you're walking with Jesus and you're living, you're walking with him. And your motivations are for him. Your integrity comes from him. Make all the money you can. But don't, don't waste your prayer time praying for money, all right? When there's grace to be had. Which would you rather have? A pile of money or the ability to extend your hand in the name of Jesus and heal the sick? Which would you rather have? Which would you rather have? A pile of money or the ability by the kingdom of God to share your faith with unbelievers in such a way that they turn to you and say, What must I do to be saved? Which would you rather have? You want the kingdom. You want the kingdom. And Jesus said, I want to give you the kingdom. Get on my road. It leads to life, not destruction. Did you ever notice that the places that bring us so much life, a place like this, seem to be the hardest places to get to? You know that, right? So even if it's like you know, something in your life that, you know, boy, if I could just have an hour of quiet with God, and you say, I'm going to do it, and then the world just breaks loose around it. Hello, do you know what I'm talking? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to do this and it seems like the places that bring us the most life are the hardest to get to, and that's because the road to them is the narrow one. This picture here is actually one of my favorite pictures, and it was taken by an elder in our church. He wasn't an elder at the time, Jim Hoops was just a neighbor of ours happened to live next door to us on Castleton in Grove City. And uh, we became friends, and this was 10 years ago or so. We became friends, and in the context of our friendship together as two couples, one of the things we shared with them was he said, you know, someday we want to go to England. We've always just wanted to do a vacation in England. And Karen had been scrimping and saving, and we were about ready to pull the trigger. And they said, us too. And so we just, well, let's go. Let's go together. So. Off the four of us went to England and Scotland for a couple weeks, Rented a car and drove around on the wrong side of the road. And uh, this, I think, was our second night. This picture was taken from the hill overlooking a bed and breakfast that's nestled down there in the trees. I know it. I'd go back just for that spot. I mean, there are sheep in the pasture, there's a, there's a stream that runs down. But to get there was interesting. I mean, we went past Stonehenge, and yeah, that's a pile of Rocks, all right. Walked around that for a while, and kept going and going and following our map. This is pre-GPS, so we're, like, looking at the paper, and bad enough you're on the wrong side of the road, but apparently north is still the same direction over there, and so, you know, we just kept going and going, and I don't think we're getting there, and finally I said, pull up at this pub Rhonda was driving. Rhonda and I were the designated drivers. I made her go first just to learn from her mistakes, and... Pull in this pub and I said, hey, we're looking for this place. Oh yeah, they said, I won't do a fake English accent, I'm terrible at accents. Said, oh yeah, you just go out there. You just keep going on this road and do this and do that. And, And we were already on a narrow road. And they said, you just keep going. And after a while, the road will narrow. I said, what? Yeah, the road will narrow. So that we got, before we got to this place, I mean, you can probably pick out the road down there. It was a one-lane road, so that we actually encountered traffic and had to figure out how to get around each other. And it just seems like the most the places that bring the most life are the places that are the hardest to get to. And that's because it's really a narrow road that you're looking for. It's just nervous looking at it, isn't it? Don't lean that way. Don't. It's terrifying because Jesus said this road that leads to life is a narrow one. Look, original sin, the condition into which all of us were born because of Adam and Eve, caused us to be born facing the wrong direction, away from God, going in the wrong direction. And it caused us to be born with a penchant to accumulate a pile of possessions to keep us from experiencing the pain of it all. It caused us to believe that we were our only hope, that we are our best solution, that we've got to figure this out. And the gospel of Jesus Christ flips that whole thing on its head. And it says, to get on the right road... Heading in the right direction toward life and away from death, two things have to happen. Ask me what they are. Number one, we must turn to Jesus Christ as our only Savior. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We must turn to him. We must repent. That's what the word repent means, to turn. And so we're born pointed the wrong direction, going the wrong way, doing the wrong things, and it begins by just stopping and saying, enough! And turning to Christ. Turning, just turning to him. And saying, Lord, come into my life. I want you to come into my life and take residence as my Savior. The second thing is we've got to surrender to Jesus Christ as our only Lord. If we're going to walk a narrow road, we have to listen to what he says and do as he says. It's a matter of obedience. Not just faith, but an obedience followed by faith because what happens is, as we obey God, the road narrows. I want you to think about your life. As you obey God, the road narrows. As the road narrows, it reveals the life that was there, that was being covered by the world and the painkillers. I need to give you a warning, and the warning is, that as you authentically say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, your worldly options will decrease, not increase. Did you hear that? The world says, do whatever you need to to get by. I know Jesus said this, I know the Bible said that, about whatever your behavioral issue is, but you know what, you need to do what you need to do. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because following Jesus Christ is a matter of obedience to what he says. And obedience brings life. Obedience to the word of God. Refusing to rationalize why we're living in this way, why we're living in sin, why we're rationalizing and integrating patterns of sinful behaviors in our lives. Rationalizing that brings death. Obedience to the spoken word of God in the Bible, the stirring of God in your heart brings life. And here's why. Because as you obey God, you ultimately decrease, it reduces our options uh, for ways of making ourselves happy and depends us or drives us to depend on experience with Jesus Christ for our ultimate happiness. As we say yes to Christ and he pulls us away from the painkillers we've been settling for, it reduces our ways of making ourselves happy, dealing with our own pain for a minute. And it drives us to depend on Christ for our happiness. And this is a critically important relationship between your obedience and kingdom experience. I mean, I meet people all the time who say, I want to experience more of God. I want to experience more of God. Come on, Tom. I want experience. Take me to the throne. Take me in there, man. I want more of God. And the reality is that as our worldly options diminish, as we obey Christ, and as our worldly options diminish through obedience to the commands of Christ in our lives, our kingdom experience actually increases, which brings true life and the happiness Jesus promised would come in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a a relationship here that as you say yes to Christ day by day to the things you know in your heart to be true, stop rationalizing, you know in your heart to be true, you see it in the word. As you say yes to those things and your road narrows, your kingdom experience widens. So your life becomes smaller and exponentially greater all at the same time. But I want you to notice something that God always blesses obedience. Through the Old Testament the message is God blesses obedience. In Luke chapter 11 verse 28 Jesus said, "Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it." Jesus said it. And so what I want you to notice is that our experience in the kingdom is directly proportional to the to our level of obedience you're actually in control of how much of the, ex- of the kingdom you experience in this regard. Does that make sense? And by extension then, it's worth noting that our lack of experience in the kingdom of God can be directly attached to our areas of habitual disobedience. That so when we say, "I," you know, it's just who I am. You've just determined your level of experience with God. And you cannot at the same time say, I want more of God and it's just who I am. If God is calling you to make fundamental changes in your life. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that. You want more of the kingdom? You know you do. Jesus wants to give you more of the kingdom. Who should be trusted with more of the kingdom? Those who have been obedient with the level of kingdom they've already received, right? But at the end of the day, it prompts, this whole passage, it prompts an eternal question. And that is, am I sure I'm in the right lane? I mean, it, it's rolling around through some of your hearts. Jesus said there's a broad lane that leads to death. There's a narrow lane that leads to life. And so it would be normal for you to be thinking, am I sure I'm in the right lane? How would I know? Let me run some questions by you. Have you come to the stark awareness that the road of Jesus Christ is narrow? I mean, have you, have you dealt with that? That when you said yes to Jesus Christ, I want you to forgive me of my sins, I want you to be my Savior, that you were also saying, yes, I want you to be my Lord, and I realize there's a whole bunch of stuff here that isn't going to fit in there with me. Jesus said, i tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, God's going to tear some stuff off you on your way in. You can't take everything you have onto the path. It's a narrow road. Are you aware of that? Have you thought that through? Have you embraced that reality? That part of God's plan to give you life, and life abundantly, is to take the things away from you that don't give you life that following Jesus Christ means following Jesus Christ in all things, not just the things that are convenient. You know, you just look at some of the things. For example, for me, what's obvious in the Word? I don't need Jesus to come and tell me personally. It's obvious in the Word that I should tithe. And that means give 10%. I just use this as an example. So as I tithe, I give 10% of my income to the work of the Lord here at the church because, because the Word says it. Now I have 90%. So I have 10% less of what I had in order to make myself happy. And the world says, no, you need that other 10%. That's your happy money. And what I've realized is that if I have that 10% and use it as my happy money to live or drive or do whatever I want to do, I realize that I have limited my experience with God, who is really the one that's going to make me happy. Because when I'm with God, I don't give a flip of how much money I make. Hello? Hello? And that's just one example. And you just think about the behavioral aspects of your life. Do you realize that in following Christ, you're agreeing to follow Him in all things? Tonight at 6 o'clock, you're going to hear six powerful testimonies. One of the things I love about the fact that we've returned our baptism services to Sunday night is uh, we don't have any time constraints. We used to... You know, when we do it on Sunday mornings, obviously, and especially at times we baptize 40 or more people at once, you know, you just kind of have to, okay, here we go. But one of the things we've done with six that we're baptizing tonight, I said, I want you to stop right there at a microphone that'll be in front of that cross, and I want you to share your testimony. And we heard them on Tuesday nights, on Tuesday night of this week, just getting them ready to be baptized, and they're compelling. And you're going to hear some stuff tonight that will stun you. And for some of you who have been part of this church for a long time, and this has just sort of become normal, if you come tonight, you will remember again why we started this church 21 years ago. And your, your walk with Jesus will be propelled forward just by hearing these testimonies, because these are people who said, I got, I'm doing it. I'm going to obey. So that's the first question. You realize it's narrow. Is your life, another question, is your life getting both narrower and wider at the same time? That as you realize you obey Christ and your options, your, your options decrease, is your life getting bigger in Christ? Are you moving in a direction of experience more, more of the kingdom or less of the kingdom? I mean, as you obey God, are you experiencing more God? Are you getting stirring? Are you seeing God move? Are you, or are you, work, are you still living off memories of yesterday? Living off memories of what God did yesterday is an indication that the obedience has stalled. That you say, I'm good enough. Are you aware of areas of disobedience to the word of God and the will of God in your life that you've simply integrated and rationalized into your life? It's so easy. You know, i got to tell you, one of the most challenging parts of leading this fellowship is simply this. We want to be a church that is truly open to every possible person who would ever come through our doors. But at the same time, with such an extreme welcome that we have, we don't ever want to give the impression that God is unconcerned about your sin. Because your sin and the sin that you continue to permit in your life is choking you. It's death. It's limiting your experience with God. I think these are questions you could ask yourself to decide which lane you're in. But the bottom line is simply this have you for sure come to the place of surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life? That's how you get on the path to begin with. You can't make a decision, well, I'm going to start walking the straight and narrow. How well has that worked out? Anybody? You've got to come through Christ, you've got to come through surrender to Christ, you've got to come through Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about surrendering to him. And the question you want to ask yourself is, is your life all about Jesus now? Is he the center? And your life is complicated. I get that. You have complexities. Many of you have families and jobs, and you're involved here, and you're all involved there. That's life. But what I'm asking you is Jesus Christ, the central priority and the essential motivation for why you're doing everything else. And if your answer is yes, then you walk in the narrow. If you're not sure, today's a good day just to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want it to be all about you. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't yet come to the place of asking Christ into your life, today's the day you should do that. If you're a person who says, used to be Jesus was more a central priority, today's the day to recommit your life to Christ. To tell him you want to be obedient. To tell him, that you want it to be all about him. Father, we just pray now in the name of Jesus as we come to these words, concluding this stunning sermon you preached so many centuries ago, that you it feels like you're inviting us to something. You've turned our world upside down. You've intrigued us with your invitation of true happiness. And then you've befuddled us with all of these thoughts about happiness that don't make perfect sense to us. And so, Lord, we just Surrender to you and say, we need to be on the road with you. We can't figure this out on our own. We, want, we need to be on the road with you. We need to be on your narrow as a church and as individuals. And I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for some time away that just caused me to realize how much I love these people and love what you're doing here. And I just pray for every heart here, every soul. I pray for every soul that's in peril today who hasn't come to Christ. I pray for every soul today has not come to that place of being saved by the grace of god i pray father for those who have not yet been released from a sense of condemnation to hell if they should die but i pray that your holy spirit would come and draw them into relationship with you today as savior of their lives i pray for every every soul today that has not yet surrendered to you as lord the matters of obedience are matters of minimal concern and i pray for them today god i pray that you'll show them what's waiting to be experienced on the other side of their obedience. I pray, Father, for those whose lives are just in difficult places today, Lord, that things have spun out and they don't know why. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come and that you would show yourself to be the central reality, the central priority in all the universe, let alone our lives. And Father, I just pray that as we take a few moments to respond to you, that your Holy Spirit would would give the feet that need to move, the courage to move, that you would anoint those who are going to pray for others in these next few moments, Lord. You'd anoint them with faith and power and kingdom. Enough, Lord. We just ask you to come now and pour out your spirit on this place. In the name of Jesus, amen.